Hi, I'm Naomi Mahaffey, and welcome to PAUSE, an Alberta Social Innovation Connect podcast. We invite changemakers to pause from their busy work and sit down with their partners and collaborators to reflect on what they're learning as they seek to address the root causes of complex problems in their communities. In today's episode, we chat with Jared and Laura Bluestein about the Allium, a Calgary worker cooperative restaurant. The Allium is, in their own words, an elevated plant-based worker cooperative restaurant focused on ethical, local, and creative food and libations in the heart of Calgary's Central Beltline community. Not only is this restaurant serving up delicious drinks and dinners, but it is having a positive impact on the community, changing the way we think about the structure of restaurants and breaking down stereotypes we've come to know. Through collective ownership, worker cooperatives help provide individuals with self-empowering work and offer an alternative to our society's dominant paradigm about what it means to be a business owner and an employee in today's economy. We were really interested to learn more about how this model evolved, what it looks like in practice at the Allium, and what Jared and Laura have learned along the way. Our host for this conversation was Elise Martinoski. Here it is. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Thank you guys both for being here and for sitting down recording this podcast episode with me and welcome. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank mm. you. So to get started, could each of you introduce yourselves and what your role is with the Allium? Um, so I'm Laura Bluestein. Um, currently, I kind of do some of the operational stuff for the restaurant and I'm also a, a server. Uh, and I'm Jared Bluestein, um, I guess uh, founder, co-owner, um, I work in various roles, um, in the kitchen, in the front of house. Um, and I'm sort of, I'm the head of the membership recruitment hub. So we have hubs. Mm-hmm. I'm the head of the membership recruitment hub and the front of house hub, um, or actually co-lead of the front of house hub with Laura. You both wear many hats. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Everyone in the co-op yeah. wears many hats for yeah. the most part. Yeah. I believe it. To keep yeah. it running, you'd have to. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And so before we get into more of the deeper stuff of challenges you've faced and what's worked really well. Could you give just a brief overview of what the Allium is so that everybody knows what we're talking about when we say that? In like a sentence, um, I would describe the Allium as a non-hierarchical, consensus-based, plant-based, anti-capitalist <laughs> worker cooperative. Is Perfect. that a sentence? No, yes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great to me, so. <laughs> um, but basically, it's, um, it's a, a business um, that's collectively owned and operated by all the workers. Um, it's rooted in a consensus model, so we're non-hierarchical, as I mentioned. So the goal is that everyone there is co-empowered to have uh, ownership over the space and lead it as if it's their own um, in a collective format, obviously. Um, and we're just basically trying to serve great plant-based food um, in a collective format. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And you just opened? Uh, yeah, three months ago. In 2019 here. Still yeah. have to, we're not in the new year yet. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, that's fantastic. And so who are the workers, or co-owners, I should say, of the Allium? So we have... So we kind of have like two tiers of membership. We have probationary owners um, who are kind of, they've come on, their their intention is to buy in, um, but they're kind of figuring out if it works for them, if it works for us. Um, it just makes it, because it's a really big commitment to own a restaurant and to own a business and to, like our buy-in is $5,000. So it's, yeah, it's a pretty big investment. So to make sure that it's like, the right fit. We have that probationary period. That's usually, I guess it's about three to six months. Three to six months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think currently we have how many probationary owners? Well, so there's 
15 people in total, um, plus two uh, allies, we're calling them, essentially folks that are waiting to join the collective, but we don't have enough work for everyone just yet. So we're looking at expanding offerings, like in, in adding a brunch service and a weekday lunch service and yeah. uh, opening on Monday. So that way we can add some shifts to the um, to the team. Mm -hmm. But so those two folks are kind of just waiting for those, um, you know, those opportunities. Mm -hmm. But the 15 of us that are currently involved, there are seven full owners and eight probationary members. But two of those probationary members have just been offered a buy-in. And so they're planning to buy in in the new year. Awesome. So it's about to, the scales are about to tip to nine mm -hmm. uh, full owners um, and then there's six probationary, uh, mm -hmm. probationary owners. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And you mentioned a little bit about, um, in the explanation of what the Allium is, the purpose behind it. So why did you start the Allium? To go into a bit more of that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So the Allium, I mean, I'd say that I kind of planted the seed, but what the Allium has grown and become is totally its own thing now. And it's obviously the, the result of the collective efforts of all the people mm -hmm. involved. Mm -hmm. um, but my, um, I guess my interest in starting the Allium uh, was largely born out of a graduate thesis I did a number of years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so I did a graduate degree in sociology with a focus in economics, um, looking at issues of economy primarily and solutions to those issues. Um, okay. So this resulted in this work kind of looking at the ambiguity of resistance, as I called it, mm -hmm. um, often looking at people engaging with large social structures um, and how many times positioning ourselves in contrast to these structures results in us reproducing a lot of these structures um, you know, largely inadvertently, but sometimes on purpose too, because we're sort of forced to uh, operate within the mm -hmm. society context uh, that we find ourselves in. Yeah. So I was sort of trying to normalize this ambiguity of resistance was really my goal to say like, yes, people are ambiguous, they're contradictory in their actions, but it doesn't matter as long as they're trying, as long as people are working towards mm -hmm. things. And really like kind of grew out of this idea of like people criticizing folks driving to the oil and gas protest. To me, that was always so laughable because it was like, oh, look, they, they hate oil and gas, but they're dr and they're driving to the protest. Like, how contradictory? Mm -hmm. And it's like, on the one hand, I understand. It is funny. It's yeah. funny. It's, it's a bit of a, a laughable form yeah. of civic engagement. There's some irony in there. Definitely. <laughs> but at the same time, we have to, like, think about the social context that we all exist in. You know, maybe this is um, a single mother who has to work two jobs and they have, you know, a little bit of time to go and, and engage in society in a way that's meaningful to them, in a way that they think they want to see change and they want to start affecting um, their impacts on things. So, you know, I, I don't think it's laughable. I think if anything, it's, it's commendable that people find the time or, or try even to, uh, to voice their, their concerns and their opinions. I mean, yeah. that's what makes a thriving democracy, a, a thriving society is mm -hmm. through civic engagement. So mm -hmm. I think really, those sort of those those sorts of critiques uh, for people engaging is is almost like um, more demonstrable of maybe someone's own insecurity and inability to understand other sides mm -hmm. of stories and, and other engagements. So, so anyways, mm -hmm. on a yeah. bit of an aside. But, no, it's good. It's good. Um, but yeah, so the the co-op itself was kind of born out of this graduate thesis. Uh, Laura and I had drove down to um, Mexico uh, a couple of years ago. Um, I had finished my graduate thesis. We'd recently um, gotten married and um, wanted to kind of celebrate. Um, so we uh, sort of were just living in our van and driving south, and we reached this town very, very far south in Mexico and uh, went for uh, a drink and, and a bite somewhere. And Laura very astutely uh, realized that we could reproduce this kind of restaurant, this 
form in Calgary if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, Laura's trying to get into medical school at UFC, so she was trying to convince me as to why we should move back to Calgary. <laughs> um, I vehemently opposed the idea. You know, I never, I worked in the restaurant in the service industry for a long time, and I, and I honestly hate so many things about it. It's highly exploitative. It, it's um, completely wasteful, um, super hierarchical, very dehumanizing. Um, so these are all these things that I was, you know, made me think like, no, why would I open a restaurant ever? Um, and Laura kept talking about it and then something kind of clicked in my mind and I thought, well, what about a worker co-op? And she was kind of like, yeah, yeah, like that's, you know, that's the thing. You should do a worker (laughs) co-op. And, um, the idea kind of just grew from there. Um, what I realized through a lot of my graduate studies is empowering workers, um, really like buoying up the middle class, the working class, um, is not only good for your economy, um, but it's just good for society generally. Mm-hmm. Um, creating people who have a feeling of ownership over their work and their employment um, makes them more active uh, and empowered citizens. Um, they feel like they have more control over their life. Mm-hmm. There's some really profound ripple effects, uh, I think, emotionally and psychologically. Yeah. Um, there's just a really all uh, a ton of great um, results when mm-hmm. you, as they say, empower and build up the working class. So. Yeah. Um, trying to think about how how to do that ultimately landed us at a restaurant. Yeah. Um, we really, we sat down for a while and talked about all the different things we could do. I often joke that like uh, Mark's really, he, he writes about widgets a lot and I was always like, what the hell is a widget? Like <laughs> can we just figure out how to make widgets and yeah. do that collectively? Um, but of course I don't know what a widget is. So restaurants were the things. Yeah, that's what you went with. You couldn't figure out the widgets. <laughs> yes. There you go. Yes. So you just mentioned some of the negative side that is typically seen in the restaurant industry, how have you been able to break down those barriers so that you don't have that in the allium? Well, I think one of the ways that has been, I don't know, I think really important to a lot of us has having these kind of, um, like we cycle through positions sometimes or people move kind of fluidly in and out of different positions or we have even like purposely made it so that everyone kind of does like dish shifts every Mm -hmm. once in a while and you know usually like the dishwasher is in a lot of restaurants is kind of like the bottom rung Mm -hmm. you know sometimes they can be be treated like really poorly and I think this has been a way to make it so that like you know one of our head type chefs he does dish shifts every once in a while Mm -hmm. Um, and so because those positions are like kind of moving around it makes it so that no one kind of gets stuck in this like you know position of power and no one's stuck in this lower position um so I think that's been a really helpful way definitely yeah Yeah. fluidity of roles yeah it's Mm -hmm. been a challenge though in all honesty it's been a really hard challenge Mm -hmm. um when for instance when this you know the chef who joined on with 20 years of cooking experience um came on board um we were kind of like just so you know, like there is no chef ego allowed here because that's a really, that's a predominant role in most restaurants, the chef ego. It's this person who right. uh, leads with almost like a military style of command. Um, they expect nothing but like blind obedience from those below them. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you screw up or if you question them, like you're out of there, you know, and that's right. been my experience in many restaurants. Um, or even the manager, you know, this is just this, this, this sort of archetypal role in most restaurants where this person kind of, um, they, they stand around, they micromanage everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in the office doing who knows what half the time. Yeah. Um, these roles are just like in every restaurant. And so we had all said to each other from day one, like we are committed to making 
uh, what I call a humanization project. This is about building people up. And so in order to do that, I think you need uh, you need consensus. You need horizontal structures. You need people to feel like they are equally uh, empowered and, and, and um, sort of valued, you know, uh, and that everyone can, can sort of share in that, and share in that, um, I don't know what I was saying there. I lost yeah, it. That's okay. But yeah, it happens to me too. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, in order to sort of um, honor those commitments, uh, it's been a dialogue really, first and foremost. Um, mm -hmm. We've been constantly talking uh, uh, about sort of conflict resolution, um, anticipating issues, um, really trying to call each other out when we feel these tacit hierarchies emerge. And then they're inevitable, you know. Yeah. Um, there's this great um, uh, article called the, the Tyranny of Structurelessness. Um, and it's really all about how when you cr try to create a non-hierarchical structure, oftentimes there are these sort of tyrannical roles for, you know, yeah. uh, lack of a better word, that emerge. People that really start to take over and they have power and people defer to them whether... Um, whether outright or tacitly, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So we, we've just been really trying to be aware of all those things and constantly talk about them yeah. um, as a way to avoid them. But they, they have emerged, you know, like mm -hmm. um, I am head of the member recruitment hub. I've, I've gotten in touch with most of the people that are involved in the co-op. They've, they've had to do interviews with me. Um, sometimes I feel like people defer uh, to me as though I should have some kind of like, um, you know, more say or ownership stake in what's happening. And it's hard to, uh, it's hard to avoid those things, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What so, are some of the ways that you've been able to avoid them? Yeah, so as Laura mentioned, definitely the fluidity role and really in the creation of hubs. Mm -hmm. um, as I sort of mentioned at the start, yeah. we have a number of hubs in the restaurant. Um, and so these are, this is sort of the, uh, the functioning of a consensus model called holacracy. Uh, holacracy is a form of consensus where you essentially empower people um, in different circles or hubs or committees uh, in your organization to be uh, sort of the lead. Um, so they are the, they are the quote unquote, the leader, or the, the ruler of that hub. Yeah. But that doesn't really mean they have more power. They're really just in charge of ensuring that things are being executed properly, mm -hmm. um, that there's a responsible sort of point person, mm -hmm. and it avoids a lot of uh, necessary and uh, burdensome bureaucracy that yeah. way. You know, you don't always have to be checking every decision with everyone. Right. Yeah. Um, so these hub, uh, these hub leadership roles rotate as well, which is another great way to sort of avoid mm -hmm. hierarchy. You could be at the head of a hub one day, and you could be not at the head of the hub. Uh, when that term ends, we have set terms for all of them. Yeah. Um, so it really, uh, yeah, it's, I think, one of the most effective ways of mm -hmm. avoiding tacit leadership roles. Um, well, and you mentioned um, uh, power and leadership, and I do see that there can be a difference between them. I think a lot of the time we naturally think, oh, a leader, they're in power, they're the person I go to, but you can still be a leader and not have that superior, inferior emotion at play. Totally, yeah, yeah, totally. Leadership, yeah. I think, is a responsibility more than sort of a position of power, right? Yeah. And so... Um, it's a responsibility to those beside you. Mm -hmm. um, and that means that, you know, you can never just tell someone what to do. I mean, you're responsible to, to making sure that their understandings or viewpoints are also being realized in a space. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Very powerful. Yeah. <laughs> so as part of starting the Allium, I you, you mentioned this a little bit already, but were there specific community needs that you wanted to talk about a bit further? Kind of as I mentioned already, but maybe to delve into it a little more, obviously the major purpose of this of this um, business is to show a non-capitalist orientation of being. Um, it's, it's amazing how deep our uh, enculturation, our socialization runs in all of us, you know, and when we were forming this 
sort of in the early days of forming the cooperative, there were so many naysayers, so many people that were just like, oh, it's just, it's fucking communism or it's, or it's like idealistic or how could you all work together in the structure or, right. you know, who's people always want to know, but who's the boss or who's the owner? Right. You're the owner, right? You're the owner. Yeah, like, who's who's going to make sure things get done. Yeah. yeah. And so we really believe, um, most of us believe without really reflecting on it, that hierarchy is inevitable, that, um, capitalism is normalized, that, um, there are sort of these these inherited structures that we've all adopted and that we just ex take them sort of for granted, like they're just naturalized forms of being. Um, and I think uh, really what we want to show to to Calgary and really, uh, you know, the world, I suppose, is that um, there are different ways of, quote unquote, doing business. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I say that we're non-capitalist and, and I know that's um, a bit of a, a controversial statement to make. Again, talking about driving to the oil and gas protests, yeah. you know, I was sitting here writing this business plan for this anti-capitalist business, just laughing to myself half the time, because how ridiculous, you know, we're making a restaurant to fight <laughs> issues of economy. Like, it just seems so stupid, kind of. But um, it's funny, but in my mind, and I think for the sake of simplicity, you always, you always need to have clear definitions of things in order to talk about them. And so for me... Um, capitalism, in my mind, is nothing more than uh, somebody or a group of people appropriating the value produced by many. Mm -hmm. um, it's that simple. And sure, you can you can follow this definition to many different roads, and you can sort of hash out sort of more of the intricacies surrounding it. But really, in my mind, it's that simple. You can start from sort of that basic of an understanding. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think in a restaurant, more than most spaces, or maybe equal to most spaces, is uh, you can really see the value that that workers bring. Um, when you uh, are walk into a restaurant, the first person you're engaging with is a worker. They're the ones who's setting the tone and the mood of the space. The chef uh, is the one who's designed the menu oftentimes on a salary or maybe a wage structure. Uh, and they're the ones who are really creating the substance of that restaurant. The bartender is, is, is almost like a performative piece to the whole space. And in, in addition to them designing uh, cocktails and drinks, um, the server is also very performative and they're interacting with you and they're the ones who are really the face of this restaurant again. So in all of these uh, positions, in every interaction that you as a customer has in a restaurant, uh, it's with laborers oftentimes, it's with workers, and they're the ones who are actively day in and day out making and producing um, yeah. the value of that space. But for whatever reason, we've adopted a structure that uh, seems to give primacy to the initial investor of capital, way more so than the workers who are also bringing the value. And I, I don't disagree that maybe if someone um, was able to amass some form of capital and, and, and invested in a space or in the, in the creation of a, of a structure or work, workplace, um, I don't disagree that they should be compensated for that. I think that's super important. Um, but at some point, we need to recognize when the compensation for that initial investment of capital has been paid back, and now the laborer is not receiving compensation for their investment of their human capital. Yeah. Um, so really, we're trying to just show people, I guess, mm -hmm. is what I'm getting at, you know, and, yeah. and this is really, for me, the biggest um, the biggest issue in society that we're trying to address is we're trying to show people that uh, labor brings value mm -hmm. first and foremost, and that value uh, should be, um, you know, the sort of the, the benefits of that value should also accrue to the workers mm -hmm. um, in addition to the person who invests that capital. And there's no reason why that world can't exist within this world, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really great to see that um, you're working within this st structure of society and like people have set out 
this is what a restaurant should look like. I'm using air quotes because it's like there's no one way. But that's what we've gotten used to. And you even mentioned it. We've gotten used to this certain structure of restaurants. And so it's fantastic to show, like, look, we're going to do this, but we're not going to do it by your rules (laughs) or by what we're used to. We're going to do something different. And you're making such a big impact in, and you mentioned it too, the ripple effect in so many different areas in the economy and how we're treating humans and all these areas. And I'm starting to talk really fast because I'm getting really excited about it. (laughs) Um, But it's just fantastic. Like, yeah. yeah. You know, what's really interesting too, is like that, that in just this structure has really exposed a lot of uneasiness. Um, with everyone from owners, from industry owners who are kind of like, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) To even like to bartenders and servers who are, you know, used to making 30 to $50 an hour based on their tip outs, you know? And when we talk about, because we share everything, everyone is paid the same. We have a two tier wage system at the Allium right now. So we have uh, a wage for probationary uh, owners and then a wage for full owners. Um, and we need to obviously incentivize people into buying in. That's a big part of it. So when you become a full owner, not only do you get the uh, immediate wage increase, but then you also get health benefits and you get profit share and you get, you know, sort of a full say. But, um, but yeah, so there's this sort of equalized pay structure at the Allium. And when you bring in people from traditional restaurant structures, it's actually like, it's, it's fascinating to watch how uncomfortable they get with the idea that a huge it. portion of their tips are not theirs anymore, mm-hmm. you know? And ostensibly at least you know when you first talk to people about this they're all for it it's like oh this is so great like finally mm-hmm. you know the dishwasher is going to get what they deserve in the back of house like the kitchen's going to get what yeah. they deserve and yeah. the person who's doing administration is going to get what they deserve like everyone's going to share and make tons of money because it doesn't make sense that a server will make the wage of a teacher or more while someone who's been training and uh, cooking for many years are making substantially less than them right um but then when the you know push comes to shove yeah it's, you know, we, you know, some people have left because really I think that the economic incentive is hard for them. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're sort of like, oh, I'm used to making bank and now I have to share this with everyone. Right. And again, it's sort of like these, on the one hand, we can talk about believing in these ideas, um, but when the actual practice comes, it, it really starts to expose those sort of deeper rooted socialized understandings that I am deserving mm-hmm. of earning more than other. You know, I, uh, it's my right to have this money and I shouldn't share it with others. I mean, this is this hyper sort of liberal ideology in many ways, mm-hmm. right? You work hard, you build yourself up, you can be rich. Yeah. Um, what I've really realized, especially in the member recruitment process, you know, I've met with 30, 40, 50 people over, over the last six months or so mm-hmm. um, trying to get them to join the Allium. And, and the buy-in is $5,000, as Laura mentioned, which understandably is is isn't a lot of money. I mean, it's $5,000 for a working class, for the average working class person is a lot of money. You know, that's maybe more than they have saved. That might be all they have saved. Mm -hmm. And if any kind of emergency happens, they're kind of screwed. Um, So it it is a lot of money, but in terms of like business ownership and especially restaurant ownership, $5,000 is the proverbial drop in a bucket is nothing. Mm -hmm. Right. But out of all these people I've met, you know, how many of them were like, shit, $5,000. Like I could not even imagine getting that much money together. How would I do that? Mm -hmm. You know, and so really you start to see, I mean, I've really started to see the cracks in this liberal ideology, you know. Uh, I don't think we all can just bootstrap ourselves to success. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a result of so many factors in a person's life, you know, where they came from, their class, um, their health, you know, did they have uh, a single mother working their ass off and barely able to be there? Or did they come from a family of privilege and they had private tutors and blah, blah, blah? Like all of these factors influence someone's ability to make it or not. 
Yeah. Um, and to think that we're all just start with the same opportunities is totally nuts. So, mm -hmm. I agree. We talked about the challenges and what have been some of the most rewarding parts as working as part of a cooperative. You know, I was just thinking about this as he was talking and one of the things that I think we've seen a lot of times that's so different, you know, we're talking so much about like what makes us different in, you know, compared to other restaurants and how it's, it's different for people working in the space. But it's also really different, I think, for the customers coming in, the people that we're serving and like the reviews that we get about like, you know, our like the front of house servers and like how they are. And everyone is like, I think, really proud to be there. You know, it's our own space. So every time we serve something, we're like, this is, you know, part of my creation or people have like a lot of ownership, I think, over it because they are an owner, as opposed to, you know, I know myself like working in other spaces. Sometimes you're in a bad mood and of, of course you're human. It comes across, but it's kind of radically different when it's your own space. You almost like you leave that stuff at the door because you're like when we every time we get like a five star review, we're like posting it on like our WhatsApp <laughs> chat, like yeah. Good job, guys. Like, yeah. we're so proud of everyone who was there that night. And I don't know that you really get that in another mm -hmm. setting. Yeah. So I think that that is really rewarding for a lot of people that are working in the space. Yeah. Is Definitely. that, yeah. Yeah. Because when you have that buy into it, when it's a, when you're part of, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. <laughs> I'm really struggling. But I, yeah. yeah, when it's yours, it's almost like it feels like it's your baby. Like, it's like, yeah. I own part of this. This is, mind like you're not just working for somebody else like this is yeah. well and and what you're saying I think you're kind of like touching on it's like your five thousand dollars that you put yeah. in it's it's not just like oh well I've been hired to do this job exactly. you know there's another one down the street if I want to, that one instead of this one yeah. you know if the owner and I don't get along or something like that um so it's really like your investment that you're putting on the table every time you're serving somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think it, I think it shows. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. I, th I think for me, like one of the most exciting things about the Allium is that we are creating um, our own uh, self-affecting place of being. Like we're actually actively working at creating a different uh, culture in the Allium. And we talk about this a lot. This is sort of actually almost goes back to this uh, issue of addressing hierarchy. Um, we talk about us bringing our collective trauma of capitalism to this space. This is these are the this is the terminology we often talk about. I call us, um, and this is maybe a little bit problematic in some ways, but I call us wage labor refugees. Mm -hmm. And so we've all washed up upon the shore of of the Allium, and we're we're actually like we're recovering from a from a trauma. Um, from a trauma of being um, in hierarchical spaces, from a trauma of being disempowered, from a trauma of being micromanaged, from a trauma of believing that self is paramount to all other. You know, these are all these things that we've just been born into. And so in the Allium, it's like these are the discussions we're having every day in creating our own culture and creating our own space of being. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just so rewarding, in all honesty. Uh, and it's not easy. I mean, we, we've touched a little bit on it, but, you know, there's... A, inevitable interpersonal conflicts and drama and politics and all this shit. It's yeah. all inevitable in any human space. Anywhere there are egos and people, there are going to be these kinds of issues. But, you know, working through them collectively and then and then just sort of creating the space where it doesn't feel like any other job I've ever had, you know, um, to me is just so rewarding sometimes. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I'll, I'll, you know, be going to bed some nights and just kind of have this dumb grin on my face like, yeah. We're, we're, this joke is a reality. Like, it's yeah. a thing. Yeah. <laughs> we did it! Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's hilarious, and it's amazing. Yeah. 
I think also like one of the other rewarding aspects is the, the relationships we've made with each other. Um, you know, some of us never knew each other before this space. Uh, and, you know, like we kind of always call ourselves like a family and like whenever we're leaving, we're all like, bye guys, love you. Yeah, like, love you. you know, it's, it's definitely like nowhere I've ever worked yeah. because of that. Um, and also it's rewarding in the fact that to make those relationships, you have to do a lot of work. You know, he's talking about like ego and, you know, we all have our own collective trauma that we've kind of brought in from other spaces and other bosses and other, you know, relationships. Um, and I think because of having to work through those issues, it makes us, you know, stronger because of it. Um, you can empathize with it. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. As you were talking about the relationships, it was making me think of the other co-owners of the cooperative. And so what have been some of the impacts that you've seen being made on the rest of the co-owners? I think that we've seen like an evolution of relationships. I mean, obviously, when we first started, there was definitely like, you know, some people don't drive as well together and it just like there's tension. Um, but I and I think we've Jared has even said this kind of before about how our relationships are kind of more like a marriage in the restaurant as opposed to like dating, which is like kind of like employment in other places. Because no, I learned that from you. That was you. Yeah, you definitely told me that. You've, you've quoted me a couple I've, times. I've quoted you lots. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you quoting him is quoted yourself. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, She's like, yeah, as I one guess... famous person once said. Yeah. Oh, wait, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I, uh, I've talked about it being more like a marriage because, um, first off there's a, we have, you know, legal documents that are binding us all to this business. So, you know, being just like, okay, I'm giving you my two weeks notice. That's impossible. Like we couldn't just walk away like that. Um, and so because of that, it makes it so we're like really, really invested in those relationships. Um, and, and like I was saying before, that when people first came into the space, a lot of times, you know, there was tension. People are trying to figure each other out. Um, and we've seen like some really interesting kind of evolution of those relationships where at first people were like, you know, hesitant. They maybe didn't like working with each other as much. Um, and then because we were so committed to making sure that those relationships were always healthy and there isn't that atmosphere when you come in and you're like tense as we all have had those experiences in, in, in work. Um, and because of that, uh, people, you know, we've, we've sometimes had like mediation where we've got like two people sitting down together. We've got another like leader in the in the space that like comes in and like tries to help work those issues through and then inevitably we see like these amazing like best friends created through that um so I, I think that's definitely something we've seen grow huge yeah and um being less reactive that's been another huge thing for sure amongst all of us I uh, yeah mean, absolutely when we did uh we sort of did like a consensus workshop and conflict resolution um, course early early days and a big piece of it was surrounding the idea of letting go um, obviously massive in any cooperative structure you are going to have ideas as an individual and you want things to be done a certain way mm -hmm. but there's 14 or 16 or 17 other people that are you know bringing their own thoughts and ideas yeah. so at some point you have to let go and letting go doesn't even just just end at decisions I mean it, it's it, it is most importantly in the self right Emotional, um, emotionally, yeah. ego, it's all this shit that we hold on to so strongly. But 
when you really start to focus on letting go, it's amazing how much more collaborative and creative and constructive you can be um, as a team. And so I've really, I mean, God, it's amazing. And we're not anywhere near there. Yeah. I think I think you work on it until you die because yeah, that's yeah. really the ultimate <laughs> letting go, right? Yeah. But um, it's really amazing the the advancements we've made as a group, mm-hmm. for sure. And um, that, that transcends being in the really, or in, in the restaurant, right? Like, I think we've made, uh, you know, a lot of people have made those changes, and it, it, you know, leads into other relationships as well outside of the restaurant. So I think, yeah, it's definitely something we've seen change in a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And it'll take time. It'll take a lot of work. Yeah. We often, uh, I've shared this analogy in the past, and maybe it makes sense here to talk about really quick, but... Um, when we when we think about um, you know social engagements uh, in a more broad sense, um, we often talk about them into dominant forms. So we talk about social care uh, and social change. Um, social care is um, so important. We need to be um, helping people who are struggling in this very moment um, and address their traumas. Um, but ultimately, we need to set our sights on the on the uh, paramount goal for us, which is social change. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I share this analogy that I often share. Yeah. So um, you can sort of liken this to somebody um, walking into a sharp table, maybe and injuring themselves. Um, they have a giant gash on their leg. They go to the doctor and they say, "Doctor, I I really hurt myself." And she looks at at this person and says, "Oh God, like what did you do?" Um, let me help you. Like, this is terrible. You're bleeding everywhere. Mm-hmm. Sew you up, give you some maybe pain meds and send you back out in the world where you immediately walk out the door and walk into the sharp table and then turn around and come back in and you say, oh, doctor, I hurt myself. And she says, oh, God, what did you do? <laughs> and you do this uh, forever. So um, the real goal, I think, uh, for us is in the heavy tasks of moving the table. It's about social change. Um, and of course, as I mentioned, the social care is important. This person is bleeding. They have a trauma. They, they need immediate attention. Mm-hmm. It's so important that someone comes and sews them up and, and gives them pain meds and antibiotics. But really, at some point, we as a society must move that table. And so for us, moving that table is so many things. It's, it's showing Calgary that we don't have to operate in hierarchical capitalist structures it's showing ourselves that we can let go of things without holding on to them forever. Yeah. Um, it's about empowerment. It's about growth. It's about meaningful social transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's sort of really what we are working towards as as the Allium. I can't remember why I brought that up now, but anyways, yeah, there you go. But it was great. Can you imagine if all businesses had that much purpose behind them? How drastically different? our spaces would be. Totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, it would be unreal totally. if, we, if we were able to do that. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, it's so obvious, I think, for most of it. Like, I, I, maybe this delves too much into the realm of politics, but, like, it's just, it makes me shake my head when I see people rallying on behalf of CEOs and and and, and billionaires and, and even oil and gas companies, which is maybe a problematic thing to say in Alberta, but, <laughs> you know, like, really... Like, these are the people who have privilege. These are the people who act in authoritative ways. I mean, you go and you work at any any hierarchical capitalist business, and to me, that's authoritarianism. They tell you exactly when you have to show up. They tell mm-hmm. you when you can leave. They tell you what you can think. They tell you what you can wear. Um, and it really, oftentimes, we have little ability to engage with these things. And so we are this, like, this amazingly free society who professes our, our undying belief in democracy and liberty mm-hmm. and, and self-worth 
And then we, we on the same breath as a group, you know, vote in the UCP and we, um, we constantly are like rallying behind oil and gas companies instead of pushing towards substantive energy transformation and the development of real meaningful work for people. Like mm -hmm. we just constantly, uh, again, act in ambiguity, which I guess is what we mm -hmm. all do. I mean, that's yeah. what we as the Allium do as well. So, um, but it's just, to me, it's just maddening, you know, like why can't we as society um, really believe in the right for someone to get out of what they put into work. You know, mm -hmm. that's what that's what for us socialism means. It's yeah. that a labor works their butt off and they actually get out of it what they put into it, you know, yeah. um, or that, you know, uh, we should we should be uh, free in, our, in a workspace to actively engage with each other and do what we want to do. In, and obviously, with a with a collective goal and, a, and a, an intent that makes sense for what you're doing. But. You know, so it's like we we are socialized. We are all effectively socialized uh, so strongly into sort of just walking the path and not thinking critically about it. Mm -hmm. and it's so important to develop critical thinking skills. I have heard so many different things that are just inspiring me in this conversation <laughs> and my brain is whirling. But I think a lot of the time, like you're mentioning, with the little political side of things, we kind of go back to the status quo when we backslide and we go, this is what we're used to, this is what we're going to go with because we're scared of the ambiguity. Totally. We're scared of trying something new. Yes. But when we have forerunners like yourselves who are s setting up the structure and showing, look, we did it and it was scary and we're fine and, and look at all the amazing outcomes that are coming from this. And so it's so important to have role models in each different space doing that. And I really see the Allium as being that. So. Thank you. Well, thank you. You know what? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, it's definitely something that um, we're really committed to as well is educating people on cooperatives. Um, so, you know, just to put our little plug in too, like if anyone is ever curious about cooperatives or wanting to know more about them or how you set up even a specific like restaurant cooperative, we are always any, any extremely, yeah, yeah totally. Um, you know, committed to giving that information back to other people because we didn't just do this in isolation. Mm -hmm. You know, we definitely had a lot of help um, and g we're given a lot of information from other cooperatives as well. So yeah. definitely want to give that back. Yeah, allyship is definitely central to cooperatives and worker cooperatives, it, it, it specifically worker cooperatives um, and, the, and their development. You know, when we were forming the Grain Exchange, which was a worker cooperative bakery here in Calgary that had dissolved, uh, were beside us, you know, every step helping us along the way. I spoke with um, a worker uh, cooperative in Austin, Texas called Black Star, and they helped us a ton, um, sent us over a bunch of documents. Uh, we met with the Kootenai Bakery Cooperative in Nelson, and they helped us a ton. Um, so we're just like kind of waiting, we're poised to share mm -hmm. all the knowledge, information, and documents that we received in setting up our co-op. So yes, please reach out to us. Yeah. And actually just that, that really touches on something really neat too that I just want to mention really quick yeah. is that, um, yes, we did not produce this in isolation. And the thing that almost makes me shake my head the most is that worker cooperatives are like a bedrock yeah. of Alberta. <laughs> like this is not like, this is being seen by many as like this sort of like social innovation and this like cutting edge form of work and, and organization. But the worker co-ops are as old as Alberta, yeah, if not like older. Yeah, it's like how we settled the prairies. Yeah, it was a fundamental component of prairie settlement was these sort of farmer cooperatives. And right. even the precursor to the NDP, the, the Canadian uh, Cooperative Federation, I think, or the, I can't remember the acronym right now. Basically, it was a group of, of farming cooperatives, you know, and, and they recognized as a result of, of, you know, economic crisis in the 30s and the way that society was evolving that, that workers need to be empowered too. You know, and this was something that people in Alberta really believed in quite strongly for a long time. Yeah, taking care of your neighbor. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
that taking care, exactly that like that prosperity and success doesn't just mean you having a, an enclaved mansion somewhere out in the boons, but yeah. it, it means like <laughs> lifting your society up, helping each other, uh, being a thriving and and and, and innovative uh, world. You know, like we in Alberta have some of the some of the greatest access to like solar and, and wind capabilities, and we and we you know we just stick our heads in the sand and like hold on to these archaic perspectives, even though we have a, a history of progressivism. Uh, if that's a word, progressivism, progressivity. Yeah, progressive. yeah, one of the two. We have a history being super progressive, you know, yeah, here, yeah, here yeah. in Alberta and uh, and in the prairies. And so, I mean, yeah, we're not, we're not, the, this worker cooperative idea is not something that came out of left fields or mm -hmm. nowhere. You know, yeah. it's just something that we are lucky to have a strong tradition of here in Alberta and something that we hope to bring back to the forefront of Albertans' minds. Which is great because it's almost like we went from I'm talking about the farmers helping your neighbor. We went from this, let's work together, let's help each other to now it's about me and I just doing whatever I can for myself. And I think just in what we're seeing politically in the news, oh, yeah, everywhere, it's this push to almost go back. Like I have seen some of it, in, it to be let's go back to helping each other. You have to be nice yes. to each other and yeah. all those things. Yeah. Um, and we're still waiting for that to hit in practice. I think I think totally. it's slow moving, totally. but it's coming. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. I'm the, the one thing that it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the one thing for sure is that when you stop growing, you are dead. When you stop changing, you are dead. And so this idea of like conservation, of conservatism, mm -hmm. of trying to like just hold on to things is maddening to me. You know, it's yeah. about it's about change and adaptability. It's about being uncomfortable. It's about growing as a society. And it's so important that we never let go of that. Yeah, I agree. So before we kind of conclude our conversation here, our last, or my last question and what I want to know from both of you, now that we've talked about kind of some of the bad things going on in, in Alberta <laughs> right now, um, what are you most hopeful for as you think ahead, as you look ahead for the future? And this can be related to the Allium in specific, if you want, or just in general, what you're hoping for to start happening in the world? Well, I think one of the things, like I was saying before, is that we really want to help other cooperatives other other people who want to create cooperatives or be a part of our cooperative or um, just kind of let cooperatives, I don't know, take over. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's kind of what, what we're really hoping for, I think. Um, and, and I think it'll just create a more empowered society. So I think that's kind of, that's what I'm hoping for. Totally. I, yeah, I definitely agree. And, and like kind of to build off it, I, I don't think uh, progress is ever linear. You know, I think it's iterative, it's messy, um, it, it def definitely falls back on itself um, many times, but I think what we've seen sort of overall is this general trend towards um, greater acceptance of what we're doing. You know, the fact that I can make claims outright of being socialist um, and not be, we're not ostracized necessarily. Yes, no one's yeah. bombed, bombed <laughs> us yet. Yeah, or, a funny comment you know. yeah. on social media. Um, yeah, there's definitely been some pushback on yeah. social media now and again, you know, yeah. when we've made claims of being socialist. But, the, you know, generally the, the fact that we've been accepted is, I think, super hopeful. You know, yeah. I think that these ideas are becoming, um, again, you know, not for the first time, but they're coming back into mm -hmm. uh, sort of, you know, more popular cultural and general acceptance. And we see a movement, especially young uh, among the younger populations, uh, even such as ourselves, that you know we're sick of the status quo. We don't we don't accept our parents' understanding of success. Um, we don't think that socialism is this sort of McCarthy era caricature of like social engagement. You know, we we are trying to make meaningful, real, um, 
and realizable, yeah, differences. Mm-hmm. And, and we're, you know, despite the fear of many different generations and, and political ideologies, you know, we progress forwards um, as a society mm-hmm. um, over time, I think. I really believe that. And so I'm really excited to see uh, the evolution of, of our society and of our economy. You know, things constantly, again, they grow and they change. You know, we had feudalism, and then we had mercantilism, and then we had capitalism, and mm-hmm. what's next? Yeah. So, you know, I hope... Cooperativism. Cooperativism, totally. And I just hope that it happens at least a little bit in our lifetime, you know? And yeah. if not, then maybe um, future generations will be able to adopt uh, more dynamic forms of structures and keep engaging with them. Yeah. 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 Well, we're the ones who are building this next structure. Like you said, we went from A, B, C, and now we're on to the next one, and that's totally. us building it, and that's... The two of you and the rest of the co-owners of the Allium. Thank you. Awesome. awesome. Well, thank you again. Just echoing what I said, this was a fantastic conversation, and I've personally learned so much, and I hope that our listeners will appreciate all the knowledge that the two of you can share. So thank you. Thank yeah. you very much. Thanks so much for inviting us here. Yeah. Yay! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pause. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge that the conversation you heard today was recorded on Treaty 7 territory, a land steeped in ceremony and history that, until relatively recently, was used exclusively by Indigenous peoples. We acknowledge the past, present, and future generations of Stony Nakoda, Blackfoot, and Tsitsina nations, as well as the Métis nations who have traditionally gathered in and cared for this place. This episode was produced by Alberta Social Innovation Connect, or ABSI Connect. You can learn more about our network, find our newsletter, and get inspired by and connected to other changemakers by visiting our website, www.absiconnect.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us out by sharing it with a friend and rating us on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. We'd also love to hear your feedback and reflections on this show and your ideas for future episodes. Our funding partner is the Suncor Energy Foundation. This episode was recorded and edited by Elise Martinowski of Absi Connect. Theme music was created by the Fort McMurray Youth of the Sound Force Collective.